Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Thanks for being with us. In this episode, we talk about the tragic rape and pregnancy of a 10-year-old girl and why so many right-wing commentators and media refused initially to believe her story. We look at the declining democratic faith in Joe Biden. Is it real or is it just another media construct? And it looks like young people, young voters in particular, have a problem beyond just Joe Biden. They want something new and innovative. They're not sure any political party is ready to deliver. Now, we also have a situation where climate change, heat, heat waves all over America, and yet a climate change bill is killed by one senator. That's right, one senator. Lots to sort out. First, there's the story of a 10-year-old girl whose situation has become an abject lesson in the outer extremes of gutting Roe versus Wade. The girl is from Ohio, which has a six-week window on abortions, after which they are banned. And given the fact that a 10-year-old is well below the age of consent, there's no doubt she was raped. Yet Ohio's law makes no provision for the victims of rape or incest. It's been established that the girl's parents took her to Indiana to terminate her pregnancy. After her story was the subject of an article in the Indianapolis Star, doubts began to surface about whether or not it was a hoax. Congressman Jim Jordan of the child's home state of Ohio called it as much, and the Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal, called it, and I'm quoting here, an unlikely story from a biased source that neatly fits the progressive narrative but cannot be confirmed. And so they piled on. Until the other day, when a 27-year-old man was arrested and charged with the child's rape. The backpedaling has been amazing to see. The OBGYN who first brought the situation to the attention of the Indianapolis Star, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, was scathing in her assessment of the doubts raised about the young girl's trauma. She told the New York Times, quoting, it's always shocking to me that people are surprised to hear about these stories. The fact that anyone would question such a story is a testament to how out of touch lawmakers and politicians are with reality. This is not just about the end of Roe versus Wade. It's about American humanity and the lengths some people will go to prove a political point. The point is this, and I have said this before, some people, not all, but some people want to control the sexuality of women. They want to go back to a time when sex was only for procreation, period. It should follow that if a 10-year-old can't give consent to have sex, they can't give consent to carry a baby to term either. And yet, there are some anti-abortionists who argue that while the rape is a tragedy, the child should have been made to have that baby. Think about that for a minute. Let it sink in. And don't think for a moment this child is unique. Literally hundreds, if not thousands, of underage girls get pregnant every year in America. If they end up living in the wrong state, what happened to this girl can well happen to them. As I've said in a previous episode, several previous episodes, by the way, the Supreme Court and state legislatures are not done yet. 
crossing state lines to get an abortion could be criminalized. In point of fact, the state of Indiana, where this 10-year-old had her abortion, is actually trying to pass a bill that would lower the window down to the six weeks that is the case in Ohio. Abortion pills, which by the way is the popular way to terminate a pregnancy, the most popular way to terminate a pregnancy, could also end up being illegal and users could be criminalized. That's right, criminalized. Add to this the fact that about a dozen states that are restricting abortion make no provisions in cases of rape or incest and you have the making of a disaster on a grand scale. When the history of this time is recounted, the judicial and legislative branches of the American government will certainly not be found to cover themselves in glory. Denying a 10-year-old rape victim an abortion is an act of barbarism, as is trying to deny her story for political gain. 1,000 girls under the age of 15 seek abortions in America every year. What are we to say to them? That our politicians are too feckless to do anything about the numerous problems the country faces, including a Supreme Court that overturned settled law after three of them said they would not do so? That state legislatures should be free to pass laws denying medical relief to a 10-year-old? All too ugly for words. Up next, a lot of young people are sick and tired of being led by people three times their age. Could this be bad news for both political parties? This is The Intersection. You're at The Intersection with Mark Riley. It's what summer listening is all about. What's happening in your world? Is there an issue you'd like me to talk about? Hit me up with a comment on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. A recent New York Times article should send chills down the spine of every American politician, regardless of party. Young voters, particularly those under 30, are tired of their leaders, who they see as out of touch and ineffective. Oh yeah, and also old. Really, really old. Joe Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is 82. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer is 83. Donald Trump is 76. And the youngest among the ruling elite in America is Chuck Schumer, and he's 71. This might not matter as much if these folks delivered on issues of importance to young people. That is, after all, why they voted for Biden in great numbers. And what have they gotten for their support? The killing of Roe versus Wade. The death of even a moderate climate change bill. More on that later. Inflation at record levels, even as gas prices fall a little bit. Where does it all end? The Times piece says an astonishing 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds strongly approve of the job Joe Biden is doing. I'll say that again so it's clear. 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds strongly approve of the job Joe Biden is doing. Now, understand that when they do these kinds of surveys, strongly approve is one thing, approve is another. 
Disapprove is another, and strongly disapprove is the bottom one. But 1% strongly approve. Leaving aside other troubling numbers, it seems the young want better ideas and better means to implement them from their elders. I must say part of the reason their concerns aren't being addressed is because young people are not generally reliable voters. By the way, this is not new. This was true of my generation, and I'm not in the 18 to 29 year old age bracket. Young people generally have never been reliable voters. For decades, it's become a political axiom that the older and more affluent people vote in higher numbers than the young. However, with the midterms coming up, the Democrats will need every young voter they can find, and they may still lose both houses of Congress. Here's an example. Do most people, young people, think the only way to control inflation is for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates? That is a time-honored way to fight inflation. My guess is young people want to see innovative solutions to problems like this and the recent rise in COVID cases. The pandemic has already cost the young dearly, and I've talked about this in previous episodes. There are young people in that 18 to 29-year-old cohort who are, by the way, people who can vote. And in many instances, they have had huge chunks of the prime of their lives snatched away from them because of lockdowns, because of the virus itself, because of the fear and the paranoia and the division that has come with the coronavirus pandemic. And while they may know that there's not a political solution to all this, they do want clarity about how to best combat coronavirus and keep themselves safe. It's instructive that the one person who promoted ideas in line with the young is none other than Bernie Sanders, who's 80 years old himself. It's no wonder that younger Democrats have a number of cases, have in a number of cases, that is, challenged entrenched incumbents. They've won some, they've lost some. But to me, there's no doubt that they're the wave of the future. And they tend to be far more progressive than institutional Democrats. The go along to get along Democrats. Now, I've always felt that there is no protection to incumbents. Incumbency is not a license to serve in any legislative body forever. But you'd think that a lot of the progressives that are coming up, a lot of the young politicians that are coming up, have some sort of disease or something in terms of the way that they're dealt with by their elders. Anything from a nuisance to a threat to democracy, which you'd think you'd hear from a Republican, but sometimes you hear it from a Democrat. Now, again, there is no surprise, at least not in my, my eyes, that these progressives and these young have taken flack from both inside and outside the party. Maybe it's not fair to lay the blame for Democratic weakness on Joe Biden alone. Yet step back and look. Biden made a bunch of promises that young voters took seriously. Few, if any, have materialized. They particularly blame him for the non-response to the ruling on Roe. And they're not alone on that one. At a time when bold action is needed, the reasoning goes, Biden and his allies in Congress 
have not stepped up. And young people aren't the only ones upset with the president. There are whispers among Democratic lawmakers, Democratic consultants and party officials that maybe Biden should not run for a second term. They increasingly see him as unable to advance key points in his agenda, and many don't see a path forward heading toward the midterms. Sadly, it may be too late to be bold, to push through a climate change bill, Joe Manchin or no Joe Manchin, and we'll talk about him shortly, to expand the Supreme Court, to enshrine abortion rights as it should have been done a long time ago. Caution, and again, I've said this before, Caution will be the death of the Democrats because the Republicans have boldness on their side and they're not playing. I've spent the better part of this year saying the Democrats need to listen more closely to the progressive ring of the party rather than treating them as some type of disease. They may not end up agreeing on everything, but sniping at each other only helps the opposition. Said that before too. I've also said, depending on road to energize the party, will not get it done. Not in the midterms, not in my estimation. Change, drastic change is needed. And it won't come from the party in power. And in case you have a question, that would be the Democrats. Long story short, if the issues among Democrats are not resolved, you could see crucial issues dealt with in ways that large parts of the American public disagree with. In other words, Joe Biden, friends, allies, supporters, Democrats, get your act together. When we come back, it's hot outside in some U.S. states and across Europe. Many say it's the wages of climate change. As we said earlier, nothing is getting done. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. It seems to be everywhere, in Western Europe, in U.S. states like Texas, Arizona, and even Utah, all feeling the effects of hotter and hotter weather. And forget about south of the equator, where hot weather is a constant state of being. In the states, any chance of passing legislation, even stripped down legislation, to address the climate threat has been seemingly evaporated. Many environmentalists are blaming Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He gets more campaign contributions from the fossil fuel industry than any of his colleagues. He also managed to scuttle the watered-down version of the climate change bill backed by about every other sane member of the United States Senate. It's perhaps ironic that Manchin's foolishness comes as several places around the nation and around the world suffer from record-setting temperatures. Now, to put this in its proper perspective, Joe Biden and his allies in Congress thought they had a deal with Joe Manchin, thought they had watered down the climate change bill to the point that Manchin would eventually support it. At the end of last week, after all that work, all that horse trading, alleged horse trading, Manchin bailed anyway and said he could not support 
even that watered-down bill. One guy, one person managed to scuttle not even an ambitious climate change agenda. It seems never to dawn on the Joe Mansions of the world that the world is changing and that the status quo, especially on climate, cannot be maintained. Yet politicians tend to shape their views on policy based on what the polls tell them the voters care about. Polls are saying, and it, it, you know, you got to take some polls with a grain of salt, but polls are saying that just 1% of those surveyed see climate change as a front burner issue. Even among those under 30, the number is only 3%. People in the U.S. are worried about inflation, about the price of gas at the pump, all of these things that are in their face and in the immediate. They don't see climate change quite that way. What they see in climate change, particularly in colder regions of the country, they see heat waves as temporary inconveniences, just like they look at cold snaps or record snows. Rarely do they look at climate change as a here and now issue. That's probably the result of years, in fact, decades of climate denial by politicians who should have known better, who should have known much better. And now, here we are. And guess who will inherit the mess we leave behind by our collective inaction? Those we say we care about so much. You know, I'm starting to feel a little bit like a broken record. All of the issues I've talked about in this episode, I've talked about before. In some cases, I've talked about it more than once. It almost feels as though the walls are closing in on Western civilization, such as it is. You get to a certain age and you start to realize there's very little in your life that will change the trajectory of the nation's mistakes. That will be for someone or a group of people way above my pay grade and much younger than me to figure out and to deal with. And still, or as they say, yet and still, the desire to fight on remains. Don't ask me why. Maybe it goes back to my college days or whatever when I was full of vim and vigor and thought we could change the world in the way we looked at the world and that we had a better than even chance of making change happen on many, many fronts. And yet our tragic mistake has been to sit back and rest on our laurels. The Voting Rights Act, it got passed. We got complacent. And I include myself in that number. No, they'll never get rid of the Voting Rights Act. It's the law. But they did. They'll never get rid of Roe versus Wade. It's the law. And the sad thing about Roe v. Wade is that we're dealing now with a generation of people for whom Roe v. Wade was the status quo, was the way things were supposed to be. And suddenly, you get three people on the United States Supreme Court, all of whom in their confirmation hearings referred to Roe as settled law, law they would not change. And what did they do? They turned around and changed it. And this, folks, is the reason why the religious right in particular, which you might call out as hypocrites, but the religious right supported 
Donald Trump, a serial philanderer, a guy who never met a lie he couldn't tell, a guy who was the antithesis of what they say they believed in. But why did they go with him in overwhelming numbers? Because Donald Trump promised them something. He promised them a Supreme Court that would, in fact, overturn Roe v. Wade. And that's exactly what they got from under the noses of a majority of the American people. Maybe, just maybe, there are some victories that could come out of all this. All of this crisis, all of the nonsense, all the political chicanery that has come to mark this decade of the 21st century. Maybe there are a few victories that still can be won. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.